In this episode, we're talking about what to do if you're simultaneously wanting to do big things and doubting yourself and whether you should even be really doing anything. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 128. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, the show where we talk about thriving in our careers, no matter if it's our second, third, or fourth act. So you may have seen this question floating around. I've seen it since the start of the, well, when the pandemic became a crisis, really. It goes something along the lines of, who do you want to be or where do you want to be on the other side of this moment, of this crisis? And it's such an excellent question if you think about it, right? It's so empowering. makes us want to think about all the things that we want to do or can do makes us really consider who we want to be or how we want to act during the crisis. Now, after thinking about that question, who do you want to be on the other side of the crisis? It's likely that you're going to feel motivated. I certainly did. Maybe you'll think this is the time to start the project you've always wanted to do. Maybe it's time to step up at work, raise your hand, take on more responsibility. Maybe you want to play a different role in your community and be the leader you've always wanted to be. And then just as you are starting to get excited to do all the things, here comes these voices that chime in at the most inconvenient time. And they say things like, well, who the heck do you think you are to think that you can do X, Y, Z? Or, you know, you're not quite ready for that. Or other people are already doing what you want to do. So whatever you think you can do isn't going to compare with what others have already done. So inconvenient, right? Now, I've had conversations lately that tell me that this is happening right now. Lots of people feeling this way. I'm certainly having these thoughts about some of the things that I want to do. Maybe you are too, or you know someone who does. And so I wanted to explore this topic here on the show in this season when we're talking about career continuity and resilience. And there is no other person I would rather chat with than Tanya Geisler, whose life's work has been all about this. For years, she's been helping her community recognize these patterns of thoughts that stop us from taking action so that we can adjust our behaviors and do the work that we're called to do. And I'm so thrilled to have her on the show to introduce her and her work to you. And I think you're going to find this conversation really insightful, really helpful, really relevant, especially in light of all that's happening around us. Uh, So two of my takeaways from my chat with Tanya, uh, thing number one, answering that question, where do you want to be on the other side, does not necessarily mean do big things or do massive changes. So watch out for that part of the conversation. So good. Um, And uh, takeaway number two, that if you are hesitating at all doing any of these things these days, one of the first questions you should ask is whether that hesitation that you're feeling, whether that existed before March 2020. So yeah, make sure you don't miss that part of the interview as well. So let me step out of the way. Here's Tanya Geisler. I'll catch up with you at the back end. First off, 
is this a good moment for action? Is this a good catalyst? Because I, I was going to say this is a catalyst for action. But first, is it a good catalyst moment, this pandemic, this crisis? The answer that I want to give is yes, of course. Um, the answer I want to give is always. Every moment is a good moment. Um, that's the answer that I want to give. But the more nuanced answer, of course, is that it's not necessarily appropriate for everyone to to make massive change or glow. Like you know, so, on a macro level, yes. On a micro level, maybe not. Maybe not. Hmm. So, which is a good leading to my question, right? So at the same time that I'm, I'm wanting to say, okay, this is, where do I want to be on the other side of this time? Right. And I'm, I'm coming up with ideas. I'm coming up with good, um, habits that I want to form. I'm coming up with good action steps that I want to take, but then these inconvenient feelings and thoughts come up, um, is is the, is it the fact that they're coming up? Is it telling me that, no, this isn't the time for you to act, Lou. This is the time for you to slow down and not act. Or is it, as you said in your email, as before, so right now, which means whatever you were feeling before, it's probably coming back and even magnified. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. Okay, so there are about... 15 different doors that you've just pointed us to. And so, you know, we're just going to have to pick a door and we're just going to have sure. to walk on in. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is my work with the imposter complex is always about... Time out. Tanya just introduced the phrase imposter complex there. You may be familiar with other phrases. It goes by so many other names. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, who were the clinical psychologists who first coined the term, actually called it imposter phenomenon. So they weren't calling it a syndrome. Who is it? Amy Cuddy says imposter experience. Chala is called fraud factor. That's what um, uh, the ancient sages of India called it. So it's had lots of different names. But the Wikipedia entry on imposter syndrome explains it as a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all that they have achieved. While early research focused on the prevalence among high-achieving women, imposter syndrome has been recognized to affect both men and women equally. Tanya avoids the use of the phrase imposter syndrome because... Calling it a syndrome suggests that it's a clinical diagnosis, which it isn't. A syndrome really creates this kind of like, oh, it's this, and it has to be a diagnosis, but really it's a very familiar experience for many. My work with the imposter complex is always about understanding what your natural set points are and what your edges are. And sometimes it's appropriate to push those edges and sometimes it's appropriate to stay well uh, this side of them um, in matters of safety, in matters of uh, trauma. Um, there are lots of different times and places where it's just so much more appropriate to not rock the boat, to just rest. So what I mean to say is, who do you want to be on the other side of this? On the other side of this, whatever that means, 
is, is always the question I want people to be asking. Who do you want to be at the end of this day? Who do you want to be at the end of this conversation? Who do you want to be at the end of this week? Um, so it doesn't mean you need to be somebody different. Hmm. It means you need to be somebody truer, right? So what is true and healing and appropriate for you is the work that we've been called to do. Um, so for some of us, it is most appropriate to get into more aligned action. Um, for some of us, it's more appropriate to just rest and attend to those. <clears throat> I feel this in my throat. As when the emotion shows up. It is more appropriate for other people to attend to their hearts and to their grieving and to their healing and to their trauma. That's the one place I want to just really start and say, um, who do you want to be on the other side of this? Isn't necessarily a rallying cry to do different. It might be a rallying cry to do more, deeper, truer for yourself. Sometimes the other, the who do you want to be on the other side could be. Um, so, for example, if I if I just you know speak for myself, there are certain things that I I call it in the, under the bucket of I want to look back on this moment and be proud of myself in terms of how I behaved and how I reacted and or what actions I took or didn't take exactly exactly um, and. And funnily enough, one of those things when I said I wanted to be proud of myself in terms of you know, when I look back is that I that I gave myself grace, that I didn't pound myself over the head. You know, that's one of the things that I'm saying, okay, like, this is the thing I need to pay attention to because I'm very liable to ding myself over the head every day or every week for not doing something big or whatever it is. Yeah. And for, you know, for, for massive action takers, you know, massive action can be a way to avoid feeling what we're feeling. And I think that, you know, that my area of expertise is not in mental health, but I think that it's pretty safe to assume that there is such collective trauma happening right now mm -hmm. uh, in ways that we don't know, but in ways that are permeating ourselves. And so if we go, if we are those folks who like just going to gonna pound my way on through this, I don't have to feel a thing and I'm going to avoid and I'm going to, that's not necessarily, it, maybe it, 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 it is a coping mechanism, but it might not be the healthiest thing. So that's why I say, I think right now is really about looking at our natural set points and um, maybe not always doing what we've always done, which is to knuckle through bare, like maybe we need to actually just be with what is, um, maybe root into some more presence for those of us who are entirely introspective and just, and, and always in our thoughts, maybe it's the time for action, but we don't know until we've done that deeper internal analysis of what works for us. Uh, one of the things that I read and, and I hope I'm not jumping all over the place here, but I found this to be very, very helpful, um, Again, 15 different doors. We've like gone through one at least, but there's like 14 more to go through. Um, my work with the imposter complex is to help us to un, um, unhook ourselves from na our natural coping mechanisms to avoid feeling like the imposter. So procrastination, perfectionism, diminishment, comparison, leaky boundaries, and people pleasing. Okay, okay, Tanya just enumerated a bunch of terms there. Perfectionism, diminishment, comparison, 
procrastination, leaky boundaries, and people-pleasing. The six behaviors, which not to worry. I'm going to ask her about those in a couple of minutes. But what I have noticed in my work with leaders that um, procrastination and perfectionism aren't actually as pervasive now as they were sort of pre-March. There doesn't seem to, you know, we don't have time for perfection. Um, there, you know, it's it, it's just done is better than perfect. There's really seems to be this, like there is an opportunity. I need to, I need to take action on it. So I'm really not seeing the, the perfectionism of procrastination weighing people down as much as I normally have. And I'm also not seeing the people pleasing and leaky boundaries as exacerbated as normal as, as you usually do. But what I am seeing is comparison and diminishment. And that really is from that uh, place of, am I, you know, what you, the sort of the lens of, am I doing enough? Um, I'm, I'm comparing myself to other people who are taking really massive action and I'm not taking massive action, or I'm not one of these people who's able to sit with my thoughts, right? So I'm comparing myself and I may be diminishing the gifts that I have to give because maybe I don't think that now is an appropriate time. So I would say in my work, I'm seeing comparison and diminishment as the most kind of amplified, um, behavioral traits of the imposter complex. Um, and I bring that in because I just had on my podcast, uh, Deepa Iyer, who wrote a brilliant framework around mapping our roles, uh, or mapping our social change roles. So she's got this framework and it's brilliant. But what I, the reason I bring it in right here, right now is to say it was such reading this framework she basically is suggesting that there are natural tendencies that people, there are roles that people will take in times of crisis. And you might be a first responder. You might be a storyteller. You might be a guide. You may be a visionary. You may be a healer. You know, you may be, you could be all of these different things. And I think the suffering that I've seen and you know, what, who do you want to be on the other side of this time can elicit a, I wanted to be a first responder, but I'm not a first responder right? Or I wanted to be this kind of person, but you really, we need to understand what, where we are best serving um, because we are all needed, right? We're all part of an ecosystem and we've seen enough first responders, you know, people who are like, (laughs) I'm not sure where, where you are, we're really sort of hit, but for us, March 13th was sort of like the light switch came on. And, you know, so like March 14th, there are people that are, you know, offering programs, doing all of the things. Yes. Yes. And you're now seeing a lot of those people bless them and thank, thank goodness that they were there to sort of give some kind of leadership and guidance. But right now they're sort of like, they're waiting for the second wave to take over because they're exhausted. Uh, And then you enumerated, is it six or nine? I can't remember the behaviors. Oh, there's six behaviors. And those are the ones that, Um, that we could use to kind of see how, where we are in, in this spectrum, right? Correct. Or where we need to pay attention. So, you know, there are three, the imposter complex has three really specific objectives. It wants to keep us out of action. It wants to have us doubt our own capacity and it wants to keep us alone and isolated. So it's going to go about this in sort of, 
a multi-pronged approach. One is it's going to tell us very specific lies. There are 12 of them. Um, and the other is it's going to have us try to avoid the experience of feeling like an imposter by having us hang out in these specific behaviors. If mm. I am perfect, then nobody will find out that I don't belong. If I make sure that everybody likes me, and I fit in, nobody will find out that I don't belong or that I'm the imposter, right? If I make sure that everybody's on side with everything that I say and I, you know, I, I, bound my, I allow my boundaries to bleed out, everybody, then I, then I, nobody will find out that I'm an imposter. So, you know, if I don't speak too loudly or too proudly about my work and diminish it, no one will find out I don't belong. So these are the ways that we try to hide out from feeling like the imposter, from, from, from being found out. But, and here's where it gets so tricky and, and complex, is that in engaging in those behaviors, we're actually exacerbating our impostered feelings. Ah, uh, they're not actually helping. They are not actually helping. They're, they're sort of like a very quick little band-aid, um, but they really are not addressing the root of it. And then the other problem is that they kind of ping pong off of each other. So if you've got perfectionism going on, you probably have got some procrastination going on too. Uh, or you might, you know, diminishment might have everything to do with people pleasing. So they kind of ping and shape shift off of each other. So as much as I think it's, um, you have been talking about this, like it's sort of the, the heads of the Hydra, you know, that Greek mythological serpent, you try to lop one head off and a bunch more show up. Um, and that's kind of what happens. You try to lop off procrastination, but then perfectionism pops up maybe with the side of people pleasing. So it really does shape shift morph and, and evolve. So we need to understand what's the, what, what's at the root of it and really, um, um, and, and address the the system, the structure of the imposter complex. Yes. So for the listeners, there is an excellent quiz that I'm going to put a link on, on the show notes, um, on Tanya's website. If you're wondering which of these behaviors you are, you tend to uh, live in, <laughs> um, there is a quiz. I'm going to put a link to that on the show notes. And when you, after you've taken the quiz, uh, you'll get a report, a detailed report. And you know, I know this because I've taken that quiz and actually I've taken it a couple of times to make sure that I'm not lying to myself. Has it shifted? Has it shifted for you at all? I'm no, so it's the same. All the, you know, it's oh. so I know it for a fact, this is my, this is the behavior I hang out with. In a way, I don't feel so self-indulgent asking this because, as you said, this is the thing that you are seeing most of these days, the, the, the comparisonitis and the diminishment, which is uh, just to kind of uh, personalize this a little bit for the listeners. This is, this is what's happening to me. I am uh, I'm identifying the kinds of things that I want to do. I'm looking to my role models. I'm saying these are the things I, you know, I want to be able to do. These are the things that would make me feel proud of myself if I did them. And I would look to my role models and what I'm, they're doing. And then I say, but there is no way that I am going to be able to do the same. And then what, what, you know, and then I diminish what I can do. I diminish the value of what I can do. So I don't end up doing anything. I wrote down diminishment because that was my guess. Oh, uh, see? <laughs> that was my guess. Because, you know, it's interesting. You said comparison. Um, so do you see, so you got like, you got the tiny little bit of a cocktail that I talked about. 
in your case, that dimin- that comparison might lead to diminishment, but for the most part, you are actually doing your due diligence. A million years ago, they used to call rulers rulers not because they were ruling over, but really they were identified. They were they were intended to be people that we measured up to. Okay, so comparison, brilliant, beautiful, smart teacher, right? But we have to know uh, at what point we've gone into when we've dipped over into what um, Lauren Bacon and I collaborated on a program a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago called Beyond Compare. And the idea being we are comparison is, is beautiful. It's important. It's, we are highly relational. We want to see how we're relating to others. We want to feel how we're connecting. Uh, we want to see where those people that we measure ourselves up to, where, where we are tracking. And then maybe those places of distinction, that is a great opportunities for us. Um, but when it dips into this place of hero worship, where we can only see their light and ignore our own, this is problematic, right? Yeah. So we want to get to a place of more celebration where you can go, oh, I celebrate the fact that here's this person who's leading this conversation. It's fantastic. I can't wait to be having a similar conversation in my Lou Blazer way from my lens of experience and talents and skill and will and all of that. And there's plenty of room for me as well. So that's a place of celebration. So anyway, so that's what I, I don't think of comparison as I don't think of any of these, to be honest, none of these behaviors are problematic in and of themselves, except for when they keep us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated. And we can say more about that as well. But back to you. Uh, So you start out in the land of comparison and it works and it works and works until it stops. And then it tips you over into diminishment, right? Yes. Who am I to X, Y, and Z? Yeah. That's exactly it. I was wondering why you think that the other behaviors aren't as prominent, if I could use that word. Why is it that this pair of behaviors are the one that's kicking in right now? I think. So to answer that question, I have to bring in kind of another concept. I, okay. So you know that I, that I talk about if the, if the experience we're trying to avoid is the imposter complex, the experience we're trying to move towards is what I call unshakable confidence. You might call it something different. But for me, there are three pivotal aspects of unshakable confidence. And the first is integrity. And the second is presence. And the third is action. And um, I feel like the in my experience, I haven't done like a massive study of this, of course, but all I can do is is be observant to who's showing up in my work, what I'm reading, how I'm feeling myself. In that first quadrant of integrity, this is where we have an obedience to our vision, where we show up authentically and we have we are honoring our word to others, of course, and also to ourselves. The second piece, presence, means that we are um, gathering support, that we trust in our power and hold a reverence for ourselves. And then the third is action. And this comes down to a willingness to fail, tenacity and your word that you're really working on right now with your with the podcast here is um, resilience. Mm-hmm. So if you think about and then, so the the diagnostics when you do when folks do the quiz, they'll see that where I'm sending you then is, if you have diminishment, 
that tells you that there is a, a crisis or you need to pay some attention to presence. So mm. people pleasing and leaky boundaries tells us that there might be a crisis of integrity. Maybe people aren't being obedient to their vision, not honoring their word to themselves um, and not you know showing up authentically. Diminishment and comparison tells us that there is a crisis of presence and perfectionism and procrastination tells us that there's a crisis of action. So I'll just say, you know, and again, I, this is, probably in 50 different data points (laughs) and 50 different conversations that have been very, very specific to this. What I am seeing is people that have had a natural proclivity towards say people pleasing or leaky vendors are like, it's very interesting right now. I'm just not really caring if I am hurting somebody's feelings because everything is very clear to me there. I am going to, I'm going to have to, you know, this has stripped things down to the essential for me. Um, I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my family. I need to take care of my community and my clients. And that means there is no time. There is no space for anything else that doesn't fit into that. So no's have become easier for people for whom no's have been difficult. Yeses have become very specific. So those are, you know, my vision is continue to keep my family safe and sound and, and, and secure and, you know, continue to, to track my business and make sure that my, my clients are being taken care of and nothing else matters. So, so that takes away a lot of that people pleasing, a lot of those elite advantages, a lot of that perfectionism. And we don't have, I mean, I've always said this, you know, there's, there's plenty of time, but there's not all the time in the world. So there's also this acute sense of the passing of time. So I find people are in action. Um, and I find, and sometimes it's the right action. Sometimes it's not the right. action. <laughs> sometimes they're working hard in the wrong direction. But again, I feel like there's this essentialism. All right. If we were to strip it down, how do I want to show up to my life today? Because I have this much time and I don't know what the grocery store is going to look like in two days. Right? So it's like, in a way that we've not, I don't think that most people have experienced. So that's what I'm seeing. Um, now, again, for those folks who maybe are still a little stuck in comparison, a little stuck in um, who am I to X, Y, and Z, that might keep them procrastinating. But I think it's, it's, I don't think it's procrastination as much as it is indecision and not really knowing you know, what they're here to stand for. And that comes down to that crisis of presence. Um, which is where the diminishment and comparison show up. We'll get back to Tanya in a second. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the other second breaks, the newsletter. And just like this podcast, the newsletter is all about what it takes to thrive in the 21st century. Every Sunday, a new issue is published with relevant and timely insights about what's really happening in the world of work so you can frame your next steps especially in light of the situation that we're in right now where everything is getting disrupted and there's so much uncertainty, we need information to make decisions about how best to proceed. The problem is we're way past information overload at this point. We are in information exhaustion and it's getting harder and harder to find the signal from the noise. This is the space where the Second Breaks newsletter steps in. We do the research and deliver the most relevant timely and reliable information available out there so you can make the right decisions for yourself and your career. So I encourage you to sign up for the Second Breaks newsletter. It's free. 
Simply go to secondbreaks.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. If you're someone who's been um, reflecting on this for a while, it means that you have you have some um, basic uh, tools that you can use to kind of sort things out for yourself or when you're tipping one way or the other and, you know, you have these tools. But for someone who hasn't been really paying attention to their behaviors or the, the you know, the stories that they tell themselves and they find themselves now in a place where they have to make some changes either because their job disappeared, their business disappeared and or they just want to be in a different place themselves. And so they're, they're, they're finding this to be the moment that they have to make some changes. But then these are, the, there are these things, these, <laughs> these self doubts and these things that come up. Are there, you know, foundational stuff that they could start with? Um, well, the first thing I would say, though, is you're not allowed to beat yourself up for this. You're also not allowed to beat yourself up for the fact that it's really annoying to have people go, now's the time, now more than ever. Like, that's really frustrating. And it's hard to be with if you're not feeling that because you really are feeling um, shut down uh, by the things that have happened. So just in a big, massive swaths of empathy and compassion that that is the experience that you're in. One of the things that I have noticed and that I do not accept, <laughs> my clients listening are like, yes, she's right about this. Um, one of the things that uh, nuance and discernment alert, alert, alert. Okay. For some of my clients who we get on calls, uh, you know, I've got a program called Your Impeccable Impact, and they get on a call and they'll say they're maybe they were on the precipice of launching something or negotiating something, and then they'll go, but pricing, can we talk about pricing? Because now I don't want, you know, now I feel, I don't feel like I want to charge what I was going to, this is probably somebody who is hedging on their pricing before. Okay. I just think that's really important. Um, the things, the, the behaviors that you had wanted to shift before, because you recognize that they were a challenge before, that is what I think would be a great place for you to start attending to. What had you um, hedging on your pricing before? Now is a great time to not collude with that, but rather go into that. Um, why were you afraid to, sh- to, to share your brilliant ideas pre-March, right? Get into that because that's now, now you're seeing how exacerbated that is. So we, we can make all sorts of reasons like it's not appropriate now. It's not appropriate. But if we were to you know, time travel back, Back in February, back in last October, last November, there would have been other reasons that you were hedging on your brilliant ideas, on your pricing. So this is what I say, you know, and and, and that the first email that you're talking about, I'm literally talking about structural inequities that we are now really seeing. I mean, who was dying at the fastest rate? Um, Who is not being served? Who is continuing to to be underfed, under, you know, undervalued? Like it's, it's, startling what's uh, what is now being um, revealed but it's always been there for people who are paying attention so um, when I say I'm talking about the personal and the transpersonal and the macro and the micro all of it but for ourselves we need to look at those those fissures 
that pre-existed what's happening now and not allow our current situation to be like, okay, this is the reason I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to hold back on my brilliant ideas until this is all over. Nope. Hard pass. Go into why you have believed that your brilliant ideas aren't worth sharing. Go into why you don't believe that your work is worth being charged a, a, a fair amount for. See what I'm saying? One one of the things that I'm taking away from that is that if if I whatever it is that that I may be hesitating on to do whatever it is maybe it's sending my resume to a new person or pitching my service or whatever it is that the first maybe the first act, question I ask myself is was I hesitating pre March because Bingo. more than likely I was. So don't use the situation as the reason for the hesitation. Ask, was I, be honest, Lou, were you hesitating before March? Yes. And so then the next answer for that is, okay, and why? And like, let's do something different. Yeah. Let's choose a different path because I know what happens when I continue to choose this path of hedging, of hiding, right? It does not typically end up the way I want it to end up. I call it, you know, we want to slip things into the water, right? We want to launch things very quietly. We want to do things, but then we get slipped it into the water results and we go, well, see, told you. Told exactly. you my work wasn't powerful, you know, so that's how confirmation bias works. So that's the first thing I would say is like, if you are, you know, is this new or is this really old? And if this is really old, come on now. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. It's not all because of the pandemic. <laughs> no, it may, and it's, and it's not all because of, and for some people, there is something new. So if you're, if you're like, no, 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 this is actually quite, quite literally new then that's different, right? So I really want to be like super mindful and, and clear and again, discerning because we are, you know, we, we deserve that. Um, so if this is like a whole new kind of thing and, and, and you've always, you've, you've never diminished before and all of a sudden you're in this new place. Well, give yourself plenty of grace because now this is new. So, okay. Like Go kindly, go gently, root into presence, remind yourself on a cellular level, all that you have done and healed and created and delivered and been to so many people. Now's a great time for you to go back into your, oh, I just felt a little bit of emotion again for somebody who's listening and just hearing this for the first time. Go back because maybe you never had to do this before, but go back and look at all of those sweet tweets and testimonials and reference letters and and love notes and people who, to, to remind yourself of all that you've done and been because this might be new to you. Um, if you are somebody who is, who, who was, had lots of confidence and all of a sudden you're really finding yourself just pushed around by comparison and you, this is all new to you again, big spots of compassion. You've never been here before and we've never been here before. Right? So go gently into that. Um, and, look at, you know, look at all of the things that's happening. Um, do have a look at that, uh, unshakable confidence model and recognize where maybe again, you're not trusting into your power. Maybe now you're not, you're, you need to lean into support more than you ever have, but this is a new muscle for you. Maybe now is a great time for you to root into some more of that reverence because of the sacred gifts that you've been given. Um, but again, maybe you've never had to think about that because you've never been somebody who needs to come to comparison. But if this is something that you've always, where you've always been, it's a great time to fix that. There is this 
uh, lie. I think it's the very first lie that uh, we tell ourselves. And if you could just talk a little bit about this, um, that says something about the fact that I doubt myself is is proof that I am inadequate. Yeah. If I were not inadequate, I would be feeling much more confident. That's really the other way, right? But this is really a, a doubt about trying to keep you um, out of action, right? But it's really about trying to keep you on your edge, striving for mastery. So this is actually a good thing. And that's what makes you a really good leader. Um, and we just need to make sure that you've got some tools so that you can root into the truth about how fantastic you actually are. But it is this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So I just heard this yesterday from somebody. I did a, a training. Um, I heard this yesterday. Somebody said, you know, I feel like if I, if I were to have made it, I would have made it by now. Mm. And that's kind of the same sort of thing. It's this like proof. I haven't made it. Therefore, it's proof that I'm never going to make it. So it's, again, that confirmation bias, hard at work. Um, the imposter complex, I probably should have said this at the very beginning, is an over-identification with our failures and, and an inability to internalize our successes. So any success that we have, we chalk up to luck, fluke timing, or, or you know, some, having somehow managed to deceive somebody into thinking we are capable, more successful than, they actually, than we actually are. So we don't internalize this self, this, our success, right? So we, so we have this doubt, therefore that's proof that we are not ever going to make it. And it's, it's one of those double binds. It's coming and going and it's you know, obviously needs to be unpacked. But I just want to remind you that that self-doubt is actually proof of your humanity, not your inadequacy. It's part of the human condition to always be striving. Um, that's, that's the ego. That's what the ego wants to want more than it wants to get. So our job is to pause and remind ourselves daily, weekly, monthly, but daily, what we have done remarkably well, those excellent decisions that we've made. And this continues to help us bolster our capacity and our understanding of what we are capable of doing. Because again, it wants to keep us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated. So your standards are high. And that's part of the reason you experience the imposter complex. Actual imposters don't feel like imposters. <laughs> Actual frauds don't feel like frauds. And people who experience it have high, strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. That self-doubt is a bit of a driver, but, and it's not a problem until it keeps us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated, which brings me to something I wanted to make sure that the listeners got from, from this conversation. Because again, I think that um, in the self-development space, we can make ourselves wrong and we can make ourselves so wrong for perfectionism, for people pleasing, for all of these behaviors. But I want to just remind us that we, uh, we go to these behaviors, A, because we don't want to feel something that's painful. So no shade. Also, because we are so highly relational, right? And us being relational is what makes us good friends, good citizens, good leaders, good managers, good, good parents, good, all of the things. So I don't, my work isn't even actually about exacerbating or, or, or completely eradicating the imposter complex. I want people to just be aware of when it shows up. It's letting us know that Yes, we've got these strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. And 
um, you know, we, we, it has us working towards a greater, a greater goal. I'm just worried about it when it shuts us down. Um, and these behavioral traits again are super relational. So I want people to think that, um, maybe if you have somebody like Lou, your value, you, you diminish probably because in some way, shape or form, you have a very strong value of humility. Right? Might be part of your family of origin. It might be part, it might be, could be lots of different reasons, but you do have a strong value of humility. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I would never want that to be, um, to, 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 you wouldn't be yourself if you didn't have that value of humility, right? So let's not try to strip that away, but let's just be mindful of when humility can tip over into diminishment, when it is stopping you from sharing your work in the, the biggest, brightest, most powerful way imaginable. So, and you can do both and, um, you know, again, comparison, I think has everything to do with our deep value of connection. And again, being super relational, how am I, relating to this person, how, how, where are we connected and where are we disconnected? That's really what comparison is about. Um, perfectionism, of course, is about our value of excellence. Mm-hmm. I want people to not have a value of excellence. Like I'd like to know that there are leaders out there who are striving towards excellence, but perfectionism, that's what's going to keep us out of action. No bueno. Um, your procrast- like somebody's procrastination might have everything to do with discernment right? And like really weighing all of the options and being very strategic and very thinky about things. That's a good thing. Leaky boundaries. Um, that has mostly to do with people's generosity, right? I want to make sure that, that, um, that I am as generous with my time and my resources and my energy as possible. It's a beautiful thing. And people pleasing might have everything to do with inclusivity, and I'll go one step further and say for people pleasers, it might have everything to do with safety. So, right? Like if, if you are a part of a marginalized community or if you're an oppressed person, your ability to be part, uh, to, to, to please others might have been inextricably linked to your survival. So to say that we just stop people pleasing um, or to just, you know, that doesn't feel safe. So I just want to, again, remind people that you might be a perfectionist and that might be a great thing, friend. Um, just notice where it keeps you out of action, doubting your capacity or alone and isolated. And then stop that. I have had the benefit of reading your words, working with you, listening to your words, all of the above. And I'm so fortunate that that's, you know, that you, you're in my world. Please tell people where we can find you, where we can listen to you, where we can interact with you in social media. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being in my world. And thank you for inviting me into your world. Let me just say that. Um, folks can find me at tanyageisler.com. Uh, and there are a couple of different places you, that will, that will take you depending on what you're interested in. Um, Lou mentioned the quiz, which will help you to determine which of these, which of these behavioral traits you tend towards and then what to do, um, what to calibrate. Let's just say that it's not necessarily about doing differently. Maybe it's about calibration and, and maybe even an appreciation for the fact that, you know, that, that, comparison is a thing for you because you the connection is important so you can go to the quiz um 
I have a training that is about how leaders overcome imposter complex. Right now, um, you know, it, it, to be absolutely honest, it's not any much different. I say in uncertain times, but the truth of the matter is, what I'm teaching then is the same that I'll teach now, and and maybe I can't project into the future. Probably it's not going to be that different because I've been. This is the, this is such a intrinsic part of our human condition. We're always living inside of uncertainty, and the imposter complex thrives in uncertainty. So there's a training on my uh, on my site, and then you can find my podcast. Uh, it's called Writing Enough with Tanya Geisler, uh, and I'm really proud of it. We've only done about 15 episodes so far, but these have been fantastic conversations because I'm looking at different intersections where where you know when it's the imposter complex and when it's transphobia, when it's you know the imposter complex and maybe when it's um, anxiety. And so you know again, just my my part to try to untangle some that the self-development space has done about making everybody wrong for what they've done. Maybe, you know, it, it, I think of things often through the lens of the imposter complex and there are other things that are at play too. And the ready enough podcast attends to that, or at least attempts to attend to that. So, uh, you'll find that link at tanyageiser.com as well. And I'm on social media, um, at Tanya Geisler's Instagram, Twitter, and if you want to take the conversation further, I do have an Overcoming the Imposter Complex Facebook group that is, um, that is you know, free and but great conversations about the imposter complex. Tanya, every time I talk with you is the highlight of my week. So thank you so much for this you know, moment, for sparing your time to sit with me this morning. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It is an absolute delight. It is an absolute joy. Um, it's an absolute privilege. Um, I love the way you listen so deeply to your your vision, your calling, uh, and how much reverence you hold for your gifts and, and your listeners. Uh, it's remarkable. I think you're extraordinary, and I just love time with you. So thank you. I hope you found this episode useful. For the show notes, highlights of my conversation with Tanya Geisler and the links. And oh my goodness, there are tons of links on this episode. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. If you found this episode useful or like listening to this podcast, I would appreciate it so much if you would share and tell your friends about it. They will thank you for it. Next week, we're talking about life coaching. This is a field of work that has exploded in the last decade. And as more and more people are considering different career options, life coaching may be a viable option for a new career. I'll be joined by Lee Shea McDonough, a business coach for life coaches, and she's also been a life coach herself, and we're covering the 411 on life coaching. What's the work all about? What's great about it? What's hard about it? How to become one? And And so if you haven't yet, now is a good time to subscribe to the podcast via whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, you're going to find options for podcast apps right around the audio player as well. Okie dokie. I'll be back next week. Until then, keep on making your day, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.